0: Nancy Katie, National ERISA Disability Attorney and Individual Disability Attorney. Welcome to this episode of Winning Isn't Easy. Before we get started, I have to give you this legal disclaimer. Now, this podcast is not legal advice. The Florida Bar tells me that I have to tell you that I'm not giving you legal advice. I've done that, but nothing will ever prevent me from giving you information about the ERISA Disability Claims Process an overview of the disability insurance world, the games that disability carriers play, and what you need to know to get the disability benefits you deserve. So off we go with this week's episode. Now, in this week's episode, I'm going to be talking about Lyme disease, Epstein-Barr virus, and other chronic illnesses that cause fatigue. They're often difficult to manage, and when it comes to disability insurance claims, given the disability carrier's general dislike of potentially subjective symptoms, the game that they're going to play and what we need to do to help you win your case. So I'm going to talk about a number of things in today's uh, episode. First, I'm going to talk about Epstein-Barr disability insurance claims and what you need to know about limited disability benefit clauses that you might find in your own disability insurance policy or plan. Next, I'm going to talk about how Epstein-Barr virus can reactivate in long COVID and your rights to long-term disability benefits for that. And then lastly, I'm going to talk about the mental nervous policy limitations and Lyme disease. Got it? We've got a lot to cover today, but I'm going to take a quick break. See you in a minute.
1: Have you been robbed of your peace of mind from your disability insurance carrier? You owe it to yourself to get a copy of Robbed of Your Peace of Mind, which provides you with everything you need to know about the long-term disability claim process. Request your free copy of the book at kvlaw.com today.
0: Welcome back to Winning Isn't Easy. Let's first talk talk about Epstein-Barr Disability Insurance Claims and what you need to know about limited disability benefit clauses. Now, many disability policies or plans have subjective medical condition limitations or limited disability benefit clauses. Generally, they will limit the payment of benefits to just 24 months. And there's really a fight often about the terms of these limited disability clauses, And whether a particular medical condition actually falls within the limited disability benefit clause. And that's exactly what happened in the case of Tucker versus Express Scripts Health and Welfare Benefits. This is a a case uh, out of Missouri. Mr. Tucker was covered under a disability plan that had a limited disability benefit clause. It limited the payment of disability benefits to just 24 months for certain conditions, including chronic fatigue syndrome. Now, when faced with such a policy limitations, there are generally two arguments that we ERISA disability lawyers make. One, uh, that the policy limitation is poorly written, and two, that the disability disabling condition isn't one of those limited benefit conditions. Now, in Tucker's case, the benefits for chronic fatigue syndrome were limited to just 24 months. The disability plan found that Tucker was disabled by chronic fatigue syndrome and then denied the claim Uh, for benefits in excess of the two years. Obviously his case ends up in federal court. The I'm not disabled by chronic fatigue argument, I'm really disabled by post-viral chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia and chronic Epstein-Barr infection gain. That's exactly what you try to do. You try to argue you're disabled based on medical conditions that aren't listed in that limited disability benefit clause. And that can be tricky because first, Many disability policies or plans have a discretionary clause and that discretionary clause as you know is a get out of jail free card for a disability carrier and a plan. The judge has to defer to the carrier plan's interpretation of the terms of the policy and the terms limited disability benefits unless it's unreasonable. And secondly the judge is going to review the carrier's medical analysis and conclusions about what medical conditions are the cause of the disability and whether or not those medical conditions are excluded. that limited disability benefit clause. So in Tucker's case, he argued that his disabling diseases were the post-viral chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, and chronic Epstein-Barr infection. He argued that Epstein-Barr was not one of the limited benefit conditions, but the plan had determined that he was disabled because of chronic fatigue and not the chronic EBV infection. Tucker's physician and the plant's physician relied on the same medical article about the relationship between CFS and Epstein-Barr, and they reached opposite conclusions about what it stood for. Under the ERISA case law, a disabling carrier or plant doesn't have to accept the opinion of a treating doctor over that of its own doctor. And so, of course, they did. And the court ultimately found it was not an abusive discretion for the carrier to accept the opinions of its physician's and its physician's interpretation of the medical literature over that of Tucker's physician. And as a result, that denial was upheld. So regardless of the approach the disability policy holder or plan beneficiary is taking, you've got the burden of proof. And if you don't meet that burden of proof, you are going to lose. But I don't want you to give up. Disability carriers are in the business of denying disability insurance claims and you shouldn't give up. But what you should be doing is working with an experienced ERISA disability attorney. Now, unfortunately, the facts are what the facts were, and Tucker's attorney worked with what he had. But I think that the fact that um, there is a strategy here that we ERISA lawyers employ should encourage you. Again, we start out by looking at the terms of the policy of the plan to see exactly what it says in terms of disabling medical condition. Is that diagnosis that our client has one of the conditions that is under the limited pay provision and if it is that condition goes out we then ask look does our client have any other medical conditions that we could potentially argue are disabling and we parse through those to see whether there are conditions and if so whether or not they are disabling certainly consistent with the medical records then we're getting the physician involved to say look we want you to understand that chronic fatigue or Epstein-Barr are excluded conditions. But according to the records, our client has these other medical problems. Now, treating doctor, do you think any of these conditions would prevent our client from working or would provide uh, restrictions and limitations that would prevent them from doing the material and substantial duties of their occupation? Uh, yes. Well, good. Doctor, could you give me a report about the diagnosis? Your opinion uh, about restrictions and limitations, the objective basis of those restrictions and limitations, and comment on why you think the person might be disabling, uh, might be disabled. And then, of course, that is information that the uh, lawyer is going to be using in writing an appeal. They also may be uh, taking uh, a the client to. Um, uh, the independent medical evaluation or a functional capacity evaluation to buttress the disabling nature of the ex- the non-excluded condition, uh, and then ultimately you want to be tying it together with a vocational opinion. So you can see it takes teamwork uh, to get disability benefits and to uh, make the right arguments or arguments that resonate potentially with the court so that you get the disability benefits you deserve. No lawyer can guarantee the results, but you can see the strategy. Got it? Let's take a break. Welcome back to Winning Isn't Easy. I'm going to talk about how Epstein-Barr virus can reactivate in long COVID cases and how that impacts your right to long-term disability benefits. Latent Epstein-Barr virus is a widespread human herpes virus. It's found in 90 to 95% of adults. It's been suspected that there might be a connection between long COVID and reactive reactivated EBV. And I think research is now providing evidence of that connection. There's an article entitled Epstein-Barr virus can reactivate in long COVID by Shannette Susan Alex. And it reported on the results of a recent study reported in MedRxiv. And it showed that there was uh, serological evidence of this interaction. And according to the study, long COVID-19 symptoms of neurocognitive impairment and fatigue were linked to serological proof of recent EBV reactivation. And there's now thought that there is this relationship between the reactivation and of course, uh, the symptoms that can cause someone to become disabled. That can include the fatigue, the cognitive issues. Uh, and other manifestations of, of the disease and long COVID. Now, let's talk about this in conjunction with a long COVID case. What a disability carrier is looking for in terms of your medical records is the diagnosis of Epstein-Barr and potentially the um, diagnosis of uh, COVID. And that can be problematic, especially for those in the early days who had COVID testing, which was negative, but went on to develop covid or those with Epstein-Barr who have equivocal serological testing. The COVID-19 pandemic obviously turned the world upside down in a matter of weeks, but we're now only learning of the long-term complications of COVID. And I think that it's important for those individuals who went on to develop long COVID uh, or to have reactivated Epstein-Barr to prove the underlying basis of the diagnosis and the complications. Neurological, cardiovascular, pulmonary problems uh, are easy to prove based on objective testing. Um, and th- you know that's sort of one form of proof because that can document not only the diagnosis, but the extent and nature of the damage caused by the COVID virus. In other words, one way to get around, if you will, the negative COVID testing is to document the known a sequelia of long COVID by body symptoms and by objective testing, like neurological, cardiological, uh, or pulmonary testing. So we can get around the lack of diagnosis, uh, if you will, in quotes, and objective testing by going backwards, if, if you will, into the affected organ system and document objectively that there has been uh, damage. So that objective testing is really important. Now, what also is important, obviously, is the reactivation of the EBV. Uh, and, uh, you know, testing certainly can be used um, from a serological standpoint. Um, but again, if that's negative or equivocal, that can be problematic also. But I think you can backdoor it uh, just like you can backdoor the long uh, COVID um, uh type situation by going after body systems. Now, just because you have positive testing doesn't mean you're out of the woods because disability carriers are challenging the testing and the diagnosis. I think that we don't necessarily want to get hung up with the diagnosis, um, but rather address the symptoms of neurocognitive impairment, um, fatigue, uh, and the other symptoms that we will see with a combination of both. These can be objectively confirmed by neurocognitive testing and cardiovascular pulmonary uh, exercise testing known as CPET. Disability carriers dislike Epstein-Barr and long COVID cases that involve cognitive impairment and fatigue, and I think these two objective types of testing are really key to proving that you are in fact uh, disabled. And I think that this recent study that I cited can help prove the connection between uh, COVID-19 and EVB in your case. In submitting my uh, appeals, I am always bringing medical uh, d- literature to the attention not only of the disability carrier, but also in providing this information to physicians so that they are educated uh, and um, can help us tie together this medical literature uh, and um, the basis of the disability. Now I have to point out that the study I just cited is not a peer review report, but I think that, that it could help. I think that medical literature um, uh, as researchers are studying the impact of long COVID and Epstein-Barr are really also going to be a crucial part of any appeal. So I'm actively uh, looking for this literature. I catalog this literature. And so when I have a long COVID case or I have an Epstein-Barr case, I am using this medical literature as a supplement to show that there is scientific proof for what we're trying to prove here in terms of this relationship. But more importantly, as I said, I'm submitting objective testing to document the symptoms and the disabling nature of these symptoms. Because after all, remember, you've got the burden to prove that you meet the standard of disability. Got it? Let's take a break.
1: Are you a professional with questions about your individual disability policy? You need the Disability Insurance Claim Survival Guide for Professionals. This book gives you a comprehensive understanding of your disability policy with tips and to-dos regarding your disability application that will assist you in submitting a winning disability application. This is one you won't want to miss. For the next 24 hours, we are giving away free copies of the Disability Insurance Claim Survival Guide for Professionals. Order yours today at disabilityclaimsforprofessionals.com.
0: Welcome back to Winning Isn't Easy. Let's talk about mental nervous disability policy limitations and Lyme disease. Lyme disease is a complex multi-system illness. It's difficult to diagnose and it is complicated to treat. What's important is developing the symptoms in your medical records, and those symptoms can include chest pain, palpitations, shortness of breath, gastrointestinal symptoms, joint pain, neurological symptoms, memory issues, and even psychological symptoms. The psychological symptoms are uh, important to develop, and they can include mood swings, irritability, anxiety, depression, and any of those symptoms can be problematic in a long-term disability uh, claim. Why do I say that it's problematic? Well, there are mental nervous policy or plan limitations in many disability policies or plans, and the they come in two flavors. Uh, The first flavor is if your uh, disability is caused or contributed to, regardless of how small, uh, by a mental or nervous disorder, benefits are limited to just two years. It's the contributed to language which is problematic there are other version of course is that you have uh, that you're disabled based on a psychological condition um and obviously we need to be parsing what the disability policy or plan terms are that you have because it will impact the strategy of the case so let me give you an example this is the case of mateo versus reliance standard it's a case out of new jersey And Mateo suffered from Lyme disease, chronic pain, chronic fatigue, syndrome, fibromyalgia, thyroid disorder. And, of course, she also suffered from anxiety and depression. It's not uncommon to see those uh, anxiety and depression caused by multiple physical problems. Now, ultimately, Reliance terminated her long-term disability benefits after 12 months based on the plan's uh, mental nervous policy limitation. Uh, and obviously, she wasn't happy about that. But the language of the mental or uh, nervous um, clause clearly stated that benefits are not payable for disability caused or contributed to by mental or nervous disorders. So the proper question in this case with this type of mental nervous limitation for reliance and the court is to determine whether Mateo remained totally disabled, based on her physical limitations, or in other words, were her physical symptoms uh, the symptoms that rendered her to be disabled, regardless of her mental condition. Now, unfortunately for her, her medical records documented that her anxiety and depression contributed to her overall impairments. And as a result, uh, the evidence did not allow for this Parsing and support of finding that her physical condition, uh, on their own, rendered her to be totally disabled. The court obviously upheld the denial of the benefits based on the language of the mental nervous uh, policy limitation, uh, and that was not obviously a happy thing for Mateo. Now, what I think you have to do before you stop working and apply for your benefits is to understand what your policy provides in terms of the definition of disability occupation and whether there are any uh, limitations such as the subjective medical condition limitation or the mental nervous limitation because that will drive in my view how the case is presented now uh, obviously you want to get a copy of your medical records and you want to review them cover to cover to understand what your physician's opinions are about your diagnosis whether your condition is disabling, and the extent to which uh, any psychological problems are contributing to your overall disability. And it may be necessary to clarify through your physicians that while you may be suffering from a psychological problem like depression or anxiety, that they are not the cause of nor are they contributing to your overall disability. And that obviously means that you've got to do some work before you're applying for benefits. We want to make sure that your medical records document that your physical problems, including your Lyme disease, cause you to be totally disabled based on your physical limitations. The goal here, obviously, is is to prevent the disability carrier from using the mental nervous policy limitations to deny your benefits after uh, 12 months or two years. So, it it obviously uh, requires some coordination uh, before you stop work and apply for benefits. if you haven't followed that advice and you've stopped work and you're now collecting benefits, you need to understand that at some point, the disability carrier is or plan is going to be looking at your medical records to see whether or not they can apply that mental nervous policy limitation or even a subjective medical condition limitation, as I've discussed in earlier episodes. If the policy language is caused or contributed to, I think that you need to determine whether or not, in fact, your depression, anxiety, or your psychological problems are contributing to the disability and whether or not you would be disabled with or without those um, mental or psychological problems. If those problems are there uh, and you're getting treatment and they're not disabling, I think your medical records need to make that abundantly clear. Also, Your medical records need to make it abundantly clear what your symptoms are from a physical standpoint and how those symptoms prevent you from doing uh, your own occupational duties or the occupational duties of uh, any other occupation. Because you know the disability carrier is going to parse those medical records and look for reasons to deny the claim. So you need to start making sure that your medical records are accurately telling the story of your symptoms how they're disabling you, why your psychological symptoms or problems are not contributing to your disability and why your physical conditions, symptoms, manifestations of any disease, including Lyme disease are in fact why you are disabled. You can see it it takes a lot of work and that's just one reason why you want to have an experienced ERISA disability attorney if you've got a disease like Lyme disease epstein VAR chronic fatigue syndrome. Disability carriers look very closely at these claims in an effort to either deny them or to terminate benefits uh, based on the mental nervous policy limitation or subjective medical condition limitations. Got it? I hope you have enjoyed uh, this week's episode of Winning Isn't Easy. I uh, hope that you've enjoyed it and you've enjoyed it so much that you're going to like our page, that you're going to leave a review. You're going to recommend it to your family and friends. And of course, you're going to subscribe. I look forward to talking with you in our next episode of Winning Isn't Easy. Thanks.